Hi, this is John Ankerberg, and today I want to present to you my very, very good friend, Dr. Wayne Barber. For 18 years, he was pastor of the huge Woodland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. He was co-teacher with K. Arthur for 14 years at Precept Ministries. He studied with Dr. Spiro Zodiades and co-hosted with him the national radio and TV program, New Testament Light, for 10 years. Wayne has taught the message of living grace, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, all around the world. He is president, founder, and principal speaker of Living Grace Ministries. And in February of 2011, he returned to Woodland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, as senior pastor. Wayne's authored several books. The most recent one is entitled, Living Grace, Letting Jesus Be Jesus in You. And he has also co-authored The Following God, series of studies published by AMG. I hope that you'll enjoy listening to Dr. Wayne Barber. Would you turn with me this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. It's part 2 of the message we began the last time. Denying self for the sake of others. Denying self for the sake of others. Don't you love somebody that's real? Somebody that really lives what they say? Somebody that doesn't just have all talk but has a walk to match it? Years ago when I was young, I, I was a, um, a college student and I was youth director of a church for a summer. A friend of mine was also youth director of another church there in Roanoke, Virginia. And we got together and put together a summer camp. We had several speakers that week because we were always too late in getting somebody to come for the whole week. And so we invited somebody on this day, somebody on another day. And on the Wednesday night of that week, we had a very, very special man come to speak. I'd never been around anybody quite like him. I did not realize that two weeks before, God had done a real breaking work in his life and helped him to realize that God can only use broken vessels. You know, in this world, if something's broken, it's put on the shelf. But in God's economy, until it's broken, it cannot be used. And so this man began to teach us this by the way he lived in front of us. He wanted to have prayer before we went down to the waterfront to have our service that night. And so we went to my cabin, my friend and this speaker and myself. We got down on our knees and I never heard a man bear his heart before God like this man. I'd never heard somebody confess his own weakness confess the sinfulness of his own flesh and just right there in the presence of the of both of us repent of things that were wrong even that day <clears throat> thoughts that he had had choices he had made and it impressed upon me the fact of being real and honest before God and others we went down to the waterfront <clears throat> and as he began to speak God the Holy Spirit just took took charge of his message and as he called us to repentance, it was so much easier to listen because I had seen him being willing to repent himself. He was everything he was asking us to be. You love somebody that's real, somebody that's everything that they say that they are. Well, the Apostle Paul was a man just like that. He was what he said he was. And as we saw in chapter 8, he developed a principle, a truth, and then he expands it in chapter 9. In chapter 8, he addressed a problem. Really, the questions began back in chapter 7, verse 1. And the question in chapter 8 had something to do 
concerning the eating of meat sacrificed to idols. His answer specifically targeted one of two groups that were there in the Christian community in Corinth. There was one group that was very weak in their understanding of their faith. They had just come out of this kind of thing and every time they would sit down and be offered the meat sacrificed to idols, they felt like if they ate it, they would be defiling their conscience. That's one group. I call that the weaker group. But the stronger group were the ones who understood their position in Christ. They knew that there was no such thing as losing your, your righteousness, losing your standing with God because you would eat meat sacrificed to idols. These were the ones who would be gung-ho to say, let's eat, don't worry about it. Paul targets his thoughts and what he says to this group, not the group that did not understand, but to the group that did understand. And he tells them very clearly there in verse one of chapter eight that knowledge makes a person arrogant if love is not mixed in with it. It is love that edifies. The word edify means builds your brother up. And so therefore, if you know something, have no love mixed with it, you'll break your brother. But if the love is there, you'll build up your brother and you'll be sensitive to where he is. You'll even be willing to deny yourself what you know to be your privilege in your freedom in Christ for the sake of your weaker brother. And then he captures his whole thought there in verse nine of chapter eight. He says, but take care, lest this liberty of yours somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. Very similar thing that he says over in the book of Galatians. Don't let your freedom in Christ cause your brother to stumble. Be willing to sacrifice what you know to be your privilege under grace for the sake of your weaker brother. Then he closes it and really in the closing verse of chapter eight sets up chapter nine. What he says is, if I know that my brother's offended by my eating meat, he said, I will never eat meat again. That's his own personal conviction and example before the people. Now in chapter nine, he just simply expands this truth. He gives it, it's almost like he raises the curtain and lets us get inside of his mind and the way he lives and the way he thinks. We get an intimate, intimate view of who the apostle Paul really is. He begins by giving the proof of his apostleship. You know, I get the feeling and you have to check all these feelings out that I get because sometimes I don't get any. But when I get, as I study this, it kind of hits me. It's like Paul is saying, oh, are you having trouble with what I just said? Are you having trouble giving up your rights for the sake of a brother? Are you having trouble? Well, let's just, let's just set the record straight. I am an apostle, he says. And he gives the proof of, of his apostleship. He says in verse one, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. Then once he nails the fact that he's an apostle, he begins to show the privileges of his apostleship because apostles actually had more privilege than even the people that were in the churches. All the freedoms that he had and privileges he had as an apostle. In verse three, if you sum them all up, by the way, it is that all of his privileges were to be supported by the church. In other words, he said, I have the right to even demand that you support me. And he, then he proceeds to prove what he said. Verse three, my defense to those who examine me is this, and he had his critics. Verse four, do we not have a right to eat and drink? What he means is, 
do we not have a right to come among you and minister to you and, have, and expect you to feed us and to give us drink when we're thirsty? He says in verse five, do we not have a right to take along a believing wife, even as the rest of the apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? He says, hey, we've got a right to even be married and to take the wife with us and to come amongst you and expect you to take care of both of us. That's our right. That's our privilege as an apostle. And he supports this even further in verse six. He says, or do, not, or do only Barnabas and I not have a right to refrain from working. Then he begins to lay down the, the, privilege, the, the privileges, the pillars really, that support this truth. And he goes from ordinary life, he goes to the law, and then he moves to the Lord. He says, first of all, a soldier, he gives it as an example, who is supported by those he defends. In verse seven, he says, who at any time serves as a soldier at his own expense. See, this is a law of life. I mean, if you look at life, it's that way. You don't expect a soldier to protect somebody that those people he's protecting will not support him. You see, that's just automatic. You're not gonna, this soldier is worthy of being taken care of. Secondly, he pictures a farmer who eats the fruit from the vines that he plants. He says, who plants a vineyard and does not eat the fruit of it? I mean, it'd be ridiculous not to plant a vineyard than go hungry because you won't eat the fruit of that which you have labored. Thirdly, a shepherd who drinks the milk of the flock that he tends. He says, or who tends a flock and does not use the milk of the flock. Now he goes, first of all, then to life surrounding around them. All of the different principles that come right out of the life that they see. All of these things are, are very natural. But then he moves to the law of Moses, fourthly. In 1 Corinthians 9, 8, he says, I'm not speaking these things according to human judgment, am I? In other words, this is just not my opinion as if we were in the barbershop talking about it. He says, or does not the law also say these things? And then he quotes out of Deuteronomy in verse nine. For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing. God is not concerned about oxen, is he? Now those two things go together. And we explained this last week, but they, they would take these huge oxen and they would walk them in a circle over ears of corn that the husks were still on them. And the weight of the oxen would step down on the ear of corn, the husk would be automatically popped loose and they would take the ear of the corn. Well, if you muzzle the ox, that meant he couldn't eat while he was working. And he said, you don't do that. You give him some of the corn that he's threshing because he's worthy of his hire. In other words, what he does for a work, he profits from that. And Paul says, hey, this wasn't written for oxen, was it? Oxen can't read and they can't hear. Verse 10, or is he speaking altogether for our sake? And Paul was very right. Yes, for our sake it was written, the verse we just read, because the plowman ought to plow in hope and the thresher to thresh in hope of sharing the crops. Now he applies it, verse 11. He says, if we, speaking of he and Barnabas and, and others, if we sowed spiritual things in you, is it too much if we should reap material things from you? Isn't it interesting that people can, can come and hear the word of God and then expect not to support the people that minister to them the word? And he says, hey, do you have a problem with this? Is it wrong for me to expect you to take care of me materially if I'm willing to give my life ministering to you spiritually? Then he shows the passion of his apostleship. Now, he's moved from life, the principles of life, to the principle of law, and now he's gonna show his passion as an apostle. Remember, the point is, are you willing to deny your privilege for the sake of your brother? 
even though he was an apostle, even though he had every right to demand that the churches support him, he had chosen not to receive that support or ask for that support. In verse 12, he says, if others share the right over you, do we not more? They wouldn't even have been there had God not used the apostle Paul and others as they came amongst them and shared the gospel. But look what he says, nevertheless, we did not use this right, but we endure all things that we may cause no hindrance to the gospel of Christ. Paul does not tell them to do anything. He says, listen, I have chosen not to demand your support. I have chosen to, do, to make my own money, to do it my own way. This is my choice. It's a freedom to choose as, as I want to choose. Well, then in verse 13, he comes back again to those pillars that support the fact that he does have the right to demand. Again, he's not going to. He just wants to make sure they understand that's his privilege. He says in verse 13, do you not know that those who perform sacred services eat the food of the temple and those who attend regularly to the altar have their share with the altar? You go back to the temple and the priest would receive a portion of the tithes, both of the animals and of the harvest each, each year. That's the way they would survive. You go back to the tabernacle and in Numbers 18, 8 through 24, it was exactly the same way. But you can go beyond the tabernacle. You can go back to when Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek. This is a law of the priesthood. You can see it. A person who ministers is, is a person who is taken care of by the people that he ministers to. The principle was and is that those who as their life minister to others are to be supported by those to whom they minister. Now, just, just as a side thought this morning, the apostle Paul chose not to do this. The other apostles didn't, but Paul did. But I wonder this morning if you ever have trouble giving to the budget, as, and I'm not picking on anybody, but I wonder if it ever goes through your mind. I don't think those guys have a right to get what they get. I, I believe they make too much. I don't think they're worthy of it. Have that ever gone through your mind? And have you ever just decided instead of giving to the budget, just to designate that money so that you can make a statement? And we won't give to the budget, but we'll designate it over here because we know who these people are. Folks, listen, the word of God says that a staff, a minister, a person who gives his life to minister the word, God said it, the law backs it up, life backs it up, the priesthood backs it up, should be supported materially by the people that they, to whom they minister. That's God. That's the law around us. That's life. But then he takes another step. Not only are all of those things pillars that this truth rests on, but also the Lord Jesus himself ordained this truth. He says in verse 14, so also the Lord directed those, the Lord speaking of Jesus Christ, directed those who proclaim the gospel to get their living from the gospel. Jesus himself ordained this. Now we don't know exactly where he's referring to in the New Testament. We do know the Lord Jesus said that. He could be referring to when Jesus sent the 70 out in Luke 10 and verse seven. And it says, and he said to them, and stay in that house, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not keep moving from house to house. So it's interesting what Paul's doing here. He, he comes back and says, I'm not going to do this. I'm not gonna demand it. But then he comes back and further supports the fact that he could demand it, only to come back once more and show that he will not do it. And what is he doing? He's expanding the principle and the truth that came out in, verse, in chapter eight. 
In chapter 8, he says, listen, the question was, should we eat meat sacrificed to idols? And some of you guys understand that that won't hurt you at all. But I want you to know that there's a greater truth. Even though you may understand you're standing with God, you've got to be mixed with love. You've got weaker brothers. Are you willing to give up your freedom for the sake of someone else? That's what love motivates you to do. Paul says, now look at my own life. I'm an apostle and I have rights you hadn't thought about yet. And I have given them up for the sake of others. And then the curtain begins to lift even further and we get a glimpse of the Apostle Paul, a man who had learned to deny himself for the sake of others. And I won't finish this message this morning, but let's get started. First of all, we see the sincerity of the Apostle Paul in verse 15. He says, but I have used none of these things. All of the rights, the demands he could have made, he's used none of them. And I'm not writing these things that it may be done so in my case, for it would be better for me to die than have any man make my boast an empty one. Now Paul says, I have used none of these things. I've chosen not to take a wife. I've chosen not to take support. Now, you may remember, support was sent to him, even from the Macedonian churches, but he never asked for it. He never depended upon it. When he got the letter from the church of Philippi, or the church of Philippi, rather, the letter written to them, was to thank them for a gift sent to them by Epaphroditus. But he even says in that letter, he said, I thank you, but I do not speak from want. I've learned to be abased and I've learned to be abound, to abound. He says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I am tied to no man for my support. Thank you for your gift. I didn't ask for it. I, I'm okay. I don't live my life depending upon others. I have used none of these things. The word none, this. It means not a single one. Aorist middle, at any time have I ever depended upon you? Have I ever asked or begged for money? I've never done that. Middle voice of my own free will. Nobody made me do it. I wasn't at a conference and heard a guy speak and got inspired. God just put this on my heart. It's my own choice. I did it on my own. What did he decide to do? Paul chose to be a tent maker. He chose it. That was his own choice. He chose to make his own money, make his own way. Back in Acts 18 in verse 3, it says that because he was of the same trade, when he got over to Corinth, he found Priscilla and Aquila. He stayed with them and they were working for by trade, they were tent makers. Paul said, hey, I can be bivocational. I can make tents. As a matter of fact, the very reason that he was there was to make some money for the ministry. But out of his choice to deny himself and be supported by the churches, the church of Corinth sprang up. Because when Timothy and Silas got there, he stopped making tents and they started preaching the gospel. Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, got saved and boom, a church was born. Came right out of his conviction. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make my own way, trust God and God alone, and I'm not gonna be tied to any man. I'm not gonna be tied to any church. Then Paul says, he says, and I am not writing these things that it may be done so in my case. Now that's an interesting phrase there. In other words, he says, I'm not telling you what I'm telling you to plea upon your sympathy. I don't want you, by what I'm saying to you right now, to get a group up and take up an offering and give it to me. That's not why I'm asking it. Have you ever been around somebody like that? They'll come on with that great humility as if God had led them to distrust him. But they'll take an hour or two to tell you what they need. Oh yes, they'll ask you to pray for it. 
but they have a string attached to that prayer. They want you to be a part of answering that need. And then when you get under the, the, the guilt or whatever it is and you give that money, then they stand up and say, God answered my prayer. You ever known anybody like that? Paul said, I'm not doing that. He said, I'm telling you this because I'm trying to teach you a principle. I don't live that way. I don't work that way. He says, I am free from all men. I just trust God and I do not depend. I have chosen to deny myself the privileges given to an apostle. I'm not married and I do not depend on the support of the churches. That's my choice for the sake of the gospel. You know, Paul says, for it would be better for me to die than have any man make my boast an empty one. You know, that idea, that comes, that's a little bit difficult verse to translate, by the way. That's a translation. It's not as easy in the Greek. But what I came up with, Paul is saying, I would die if anybody ever thought I was a hireling, that I was doing what I was doing for money, like Balaam in Numbers 22. Or like what Peter said in 1 Peter 5, 2, when he told the elders, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. In other words, Paul said, hey, I would die if anybody ever thought for a second, I'm doing what I'm doing for personal gain. He was absolutely sincere with them. And he's trying to help them and teach them a principle that what you, you have to learn to deny privileges, maybe not this one. He's not saying that to everybody. You have to discover in your own arena of life, what is it that God's asking you to lay down for the sake of your brother? You, you must discover that yourself. The Holy Spirit of God leads you to that. You don't do what Paul did just because Paul did it. That was his conviction. But the principle is, is loud and clear. Are we willing to lay down our freedoms for the sake of a weaker Brother, the sincerity of the Apostle Paul. Can I ask you a question this morning? You don't have to raise your hand to answer it. Please don't. But let me just ask you a question to think about. Why do you do what you do? Why do you do what you do? What is your motivation? And if your motivation is godly, then you're having no trouble with hearing this at all. If it is not, you're having great struggle right now in your mind. Because you see, when you do it for yourself, you'll cling to your rights. When you do it for Christ, you'll willingly give them up for the sake of the, those that he loves. Secondly, not only the sincerity of the Apostle Paul, the humility of the Apostle Paul. The humility of the Apostle Paul. I love this. I mean, he gives the reason for his preaching the gospel. He can't take any credit for it at all. Verse 16, 1 Corinthians 9, For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. For I am under compulsion. For woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. Man, Paul wants him to know that preaching the gospel was not his idea. He didn't go to a school. He didn't get a degree for it. He didn't come out of a homiletics class. Preaching the gospel was God's idea. All he could ever boast about was in the gospel, not for it, because it wasn't his gospel. It was God who initiated the whole process. He was under, he says, I'm under compulsion. The word compulsion is that little word anakki. It's the word used in 2 Corinthians 5, 14. Translated constraints in the King James. For the love of Christ 
controls, as the New American Standard says, or constrains, as the King James Version says. There's something about me. There's something moving me and compelling me to preach the gospel. I had nothing to do with it, Paul said. Don't ever give me any credit for it. Do you realize what a preacher the Apostle Paul was? He was in one place and somebody said, the gods have come down. And they called him a name that was given to the great orator of all the gods. He must have been something else. His ability and his gifts must have absolutely been phenomenal. One night he preached all night long. Guy fell out of a window and died. He went down, brought him back to life, kept right on preaching, and nobody went home. And nobody went to sleep. The apostle Paul, when he preached, was gifted by God, but he says here, I had nothing to do with it. I had nothing to do with it. What I do is God's idea. I can't take any credit for what I do. He was under the divine call of God to preach the gospel. My son asked me one day, he says, Daddy, do you think I ought to go into preaching? And I said, son, if you can do anything else, do it. But if you can't, don't ever back up because that's God moving in your life. It's God's call. It's God's gospel. He said, man, listen, what I do, I preach under compulsion. He's motivated and moved me to do what I do. Paul was under the divine call of God to preach the gospel. He could do nothing else. In Acts chapter nine, verse 15, and this might be a good place for you to turn over if you wanna look there. Acts chapter nine, verse 15, when, when God met him on the Damascus road, I want you to see what happened. The Lord spoke to Ananias and I want you to see what God had already planned for the apostle Paul. I mean, this is God's plan, God's will. It's God's gift, it's God's calling. It has nothing to do with Paul other than the Lord selected him. It says in Acts 9, 15, but the Lord said to him, go, for he's a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. And in verse 16 of Acts 9, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. And Paul knew that the suffering would come as a reason for, for the calling that God had given him. That's why when he, he was in prison in Rome and he wrote Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon, when he was there in, in Ephesians chapter three, verse one, he says, Paul, a prisoner of Christ. I'm not a prisoner of Rome. I'm not a prisoner of the Jews. I'm a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ because I know that he's already told me, not only has he called me and gifted me, the suffering's gonna go along with it. Romans 1:14, he says to the Roman believers, I'm under obligation. That word means I owe a debt. I owe a debt to Christ. I was on my way to Damascus to kill the Christians and God stopped me in my tracks and God turned me around and called me. He said, I owe a debt to Christ. I owe a debt to the Christians and I owe a debt to the world for what God has done in my life. He knew that his preaching, he could never take any credit for. This was all God's design. So back in chapter nine, verse 16, he says, for if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for I am under compulsion. For woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. Man, that phrase has just camped out in my mind. Woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. The word for woe is a little Greek word that means, it's, it's an indescribable sigh of, of unbearable grief and pain. Woe, it's a word used over in Revelation. The first woe, the second woe, and the different woes that came. And it's, it's the same idea. And Paul said, I would be filled with grief inexpressible 
if I could not preach the gospel of Christ. And I can't take any credit for it, he says. God started it. God anointed it. God initiated it. It's all God. I can't take any credit for it. My preaching is, is something that God originated in my life. I wonder this morning, in whatever gift and calling and direction God's put in your life, if you feel the same way. If you're overwhelmed by the fact that God has gifted you, isn't it interesting how, how we think of ourselves sometimes? Boy, I, I've got real talent, don't I, no friend? If you're saved, God put a gift in you that you couldn't have come up with. No school can give it to you. And if you can do anything else but use that, then do it. But God, if he's put it within your heart, burned within your heart, and that's what God does, and you can never take any credit for it. The glory must go to him. Paul was a humble man. Paul knew what he was not. And he certainly knew who he was. And Paul says, I can't take any credit. Woe would be unto me if I didn't preach the gospel of Christ. Sincerity of Paul, the humility of Paul. Now that statement there hinges on the next two verses. And the next point I want you to see is the expectancy of the apostle Paul. Now you've got to put these verses together or you'll miss it. Paul says something here that at first reading you miss. He says in verse 17, for if I do this voluntarily. Now he's still talking about preaching. If I do this voluntarily, I have a reward. But if against my will, I have a stewardship entrusted to me. Now, careful, very careful what you're doing here. He's still talking about the fact that my preaching, I cannot take any credit for. That's what he's still on his mind. He says, for if I do this voluntarily, I have a reward. The word voluntarily there is a key word. It's the word hikon, and it's the word that means an act of his own free will. And Paul said that if he were preaching as an act of his own free will, he came up with it, he chose to do it, he's put all the energy into it, then he could expect a reward. That's, that's his whole point. He said, but I didn't. Because he said, God came up with it. I didn't come up with it. He says, so how could I ever look forward to a reward for doing what I don't, be, I don't deserve to do in the first place? You realize how many people have not yet grasped this? Man, we sang a while ago, amazing love, how can it be? Boy, Vance Havner said before he died, he said the thing that's wrong with Christianity and Christians, we've lost the awe of our salvation. We've forgotten. We wouldn't even be here this morning if it wasn't for the grace of God. I wouldn't be standing up here dressed in a suit like I've never owned before and a pair of shoes like I've got on and these, and these dumb looking glasses. I wouldn't be standing up here if it wasn't for the grace of God. What's wrong with us? And we're looking for a reward to do what we have nothing to do with to start with. God initiated it and it's only God that can anoint it and only God can get the glory for it. Man, I tell you, the times in my life I feel so ashamed of have been the times I wanted to cling to my rights. The times that I wanted to say, give me a reward for what I'm doing because I put in the time without stopping to realize, man, but by the grace of God, you'd be in a ditch somewhere as a drunk if God hadn't found you. Isn't it funny how the flesh creeps up on us like that? I wonder who, I wonder who's doing today, and, and this will go out on television, I wonder who's watching television and you're doing what you're doing, and you might be a minister somewhere, and you think you ought to be rewarded for what you do. I only, listen, fairness is not even in the question. God is a just God, and thank God he is. That's why he sent his son to die for us on the cross. If he was fair, I'd be in hell, and so would you forever without a whisper of a prayer. He's a just God. 
What in the world is wrong with us? Paul said, man, listen, I don't have any rights. When it comes down to it, I have privileges as an apostle, but when it comes down to it, man, can I expect a reward for what God himself has originated? Paul is not saying in the second part of that verse he's preaching against his will. What he says is, he says, but if against my will, which is the way it happened to him, remember? Paul was not seeking after God. God was seeking after him. He says, but if against my will, I have a stewardship entrusted to me. You know what a stewardship is? That's that little word that we've already looked at in Corinthians. It means a house steward. Paul said, hey, I wasn't willing. I was headed toward Damascus and God stopped me and God assigned me and God called me and God gifted me. And he said, now he's entrusted me with a stewardship. It's his property. It's his calling. And, and if I don't exercise it the way that I should, I will answer to God for it one day. In other words, I don't expect any reward for doing what I could have never in a million years deserved to do. God saved him, God called him, God entrusted him. This was all God's idea. You know, a slave does not expect to be paid for what he does. And Paul's a bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ. So his reward is not for preaching the gospel. In fact, if he doesn't do it, woe be unto him. And he will, God will deal with him one day. Well, then what is his reward for? Yeah, there is an expectancy in Paul. And Paul does expect a reward, but not for what he does. That's strictly by the grace of God. In verse 18, what then is my reward, he says. His answer, that when I preach the gospel, oh man, I may offer the gospel without charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. You know what he says? He says, I can't expect a reward for what I do, but I can't expect a reward for how I do it. And he says, I do it with a love for him and a love for the others. That's the implication of the verse. I'm doing it for the sake of my brother. And I have made a choice in this. And this choice, for the sake of my brother, I know one day will bring a reward. And that is, I have chosen to give up my privileges as an apostle of being supported by the churches so that I could preach the word of God without any charge. Is that for everybody? No, that's what the apostle Paul chose to do to bring out and expand his truth that you've got to learn as a stronger brother to deny yourself for the sake of the weaker brother. He says that when I preach the gospel, I may offer the gospel without charge. The word without charge is the word ah without, and the word D-A-P-A-N-E means expense, no charge whatsoever. Isn't it amazing? You know, the false teachers, if you'll go over to 2 Peter and 2 and study Jude, all they do is for sordid gain. All they do is for profit. It's like the guy that was on not long ago who said, Easter Sunday's coming up. <laughs> Shared this on a Wednesday night. And Easter Sunday, he said, is the soil, the best soil of the year for Christians to plant their faith seeds of money into my ministry. He was made very sure that he gave the address, gave the date of Easter so nobody would miss it. And then he said, and by the way, I'm only telling you this because I want to see you blessed. I don't really know why I watch this stupid stuff. I guess sometimes <laughs> I just feel bad and want to let the flesh see something for a second or two. I haven't thrown a, I haven't thrown a brick through the television yet. It would cost me more than that to try to replace it. But I, I get so angry when I hear that kind of stuff. 
false teachers doing what they do for sordid gain. Paul said, man, I have discovered a reward not only that I'm going to get one day, but I get every day. He puts it in the present tense. I'm getting a reward. In other words, he said, man, it just tickles me to death to go into a place and preach the gospel, lay it right in front of them, and don't charge them a thing. Oh, man, I'm so blessed, Brother Paul. Can't I do something? No, man, just enjoy Jesus. And he said, as I walk down the road, the joy just springs up inside of me. Chills break out all over me. Man, God has rewarded me, and he will reward me one day. Because it's not what I do. That's, I haven't got anything to do with that. But it's the way I go about doing it. Paul made a decision of his own will out of his love for his fellow man not to preach the gospel for any kind of reward. You know, this began to be the driving burden of his ministry, and you can see it all through the New Testament. To the book, to the church of Thessalonica, he said in chapter 2, verse 9 of 1 Thessalonians, he says, For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. I worked night and day. He said, I didn't, I didn't become a burden to you. And then he said in 2 Thessalonians 3 and verse 8, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with labor and hardship, we kept working night and day so that we might not be a burden to any of you. That, that was a driving force in his ministry. An apostle who could every bit expect to be supported by the church chose to give that privilege up. You know, churches did send him money, but that's not the point. He never solicited it. He never depended upon it. And the church in Macedonia supported him while he was over in Corinth. And Corinth was a rich church, very rich church. Listen to what he said to him in 2 Corinthians eleven eight. 8. He said, I robbed other churches. That's the way he felt about it. When anybody sent him money, he felt like he was robbing them. The word is the word used for plundering a temple. He said, I robbed other churches, taking wages from them to serve you. And then in verse 9, he says, And when I was present with you and was in need, I was not a burden to anyone. For when the brethren came from Macedonia, they fully supplied my need. And in everything I kept myself from being a burden to you and will continue to do so. Verse 18 of 1 Corinthians 9, Paul says, what then is my reward? He says that when I preach the gospel, I may offer the gospel without charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. I'll tell you what, when you choose to deny your privilege for the sake of your brother, there's an immediate reward, an immediate reward. But there's also a future reward that God gives because it's the motives of men's hearts he'll judge. Why you do what you do. And you see, he understood that, that preaching the gospel was something so foreign to anything he had ever thought about. It, God had to come up with it. It was God who gifted him to do it. It was God who called him to do it. And he said, I couldn't do anything else. And woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. And I've been entrusted as a steward. James says, for teachers of the word of God, they'll be given a greater condemnation. So we can't expect to be rewarded for what we do, but we can be respected, expect, we can't expect to be rewarded for the way we go about doing it. That's the key. Paul found great joy in preaching the gospel without charge. Well, the sincerity, the humility, the expectancy, and fourthly, the integrity of the Apostle Paul. Now, I won't finish this at all because this is going to get into becoming a Jew to those that are Jew and under the law to those under the law, and I want to take some time with that. But he says in verse 19, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all, that I might win the more. What's the enigma of his life and the choices that he had made? He's free from all men. No strings attached to any man. He's just walking as a servant of Christ, as he says in chapter 4 and verse 1. Eperitus, just, just, just an under roar to Christ. 
But he says, I'm free from all men. However, out of this freedom and out of absolutely no coercion at all, I have made a choice to become a slave to all men. Now, why in the world would he make himself a slave to all men? For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all that I might win the more. His whole motivation was to see more and more people come to know Christ. And he felt like if he, if he demanded support from the churches, that somehow was going to be a detriment to what he was trying to preach. And so he chose not to do that. And he chose to go the route of making his own way and trusting God. 2 Corinthians 4, 5 says, For we do not preach ourselves but Christ Jesus our Lord and ourselves as your bondservants for Christ's sake. In Galatians 5, 13 he says, For you were called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Verse 20 is when he gets into the fact to the Jews, I became a Jew, etc. And on and on and on and on. You know, these messages sometimes mean a whole lot more to me than perhaps they do to you, and I know that. But I've just been overwhelmed in this truth today. It's just overwhelmed me to rehearse for me the attitude that we all ought to have towards our salvation, the gifts and the callings that God's put on each of our life. Why do you do what you do? If you're not doing it for Christ and you're hanging on to your rights and your privileges and you will gripe and grumble till he comes back. But if you're doing it for Christ, there's a whole lot of things that are rights and privileges and when you boil it down, you don't deserve them anyway, neither do I. So what in the world are we holding on for? If you look over in Philippians, We'll close this thing out. Philippians chapter 4, or chapter 2. I want to read something to you. Very exact same thing to me that Paul says to the Philippian church, but in a unique and different way. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5. Philippians 2 and verse 5. He says, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. What attitude? Well, verse 3. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind that each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest. Boy, some of us major on that, don't we? But also for the interest of others. Have this attitude in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And I'm so glad he did because none of us would be here this morning had he not done it. Denying yourself for the sake of others. What are you clinging to that your right or your privilege that's beating your weaker brother up. Why not just come back and trust him and just die to that old flesh and learn to live as Paul lived. Though he was free from all men, he chose to be a servant to all and that was an attitude of his heart. That's the point he's trying to get across to the Corinthian church. That's the point I think God wants to get across to each of us. Be willing to die to a privilege you know you have and you understand but for the sake of others and for the sake of Christ, you'd be willing to do just that. 
For additional resources, log on to jashow.org. That's jashow.org. 